Well, hello and welcome to The Mariner with me, Chris Stanmore Major. And in this episode, we're going to be continuing our look at the RYA's Sea Survival Handbook by Keith Colwell. Uh, we've been going through this slowly over the last couple of months. And uh, some of the feedback I received from folks is that this is very well received, that uh, the kind of things that are in these books are of great interest and that uh, should hurry up and get on with it. So uh, here we are. Uh, we only did one of these a couple of episodes ago, but uh, I, I, fl- I thumbed through this this morning. I thought, you know what, let's just get on with this. Uh, the, the next sections look rather interesting. We've been going through some stuff that's quite dry, looking at uh, life rafts and uh, life jackets. And uh, we started off looking at cold water immersion. Um, the next bit, I think, is where it gets uh, useful because piece of equipment that we are using in everyday life as well, normal sailing, and that's the VHF and the SSB and the uh, satellite communications, if you're lucky enough to have that, and uh, looking at how they can be used in an emergency situation. You know, going and becoming an expert on how to enter and uh, patch a life raft is going to really be outside of your everyday uh, orbit as a sailor, but uh, sitting down for five minutes in front of the VHF and making sure that everything's programmed into it correctly or sitting <laughs> sitting down for five hours in front of the SSB and trying to work out, okay, how does this thing work? Um, these are things that can be quite easily done and just making sure that you're on point with this game can be a big difference if anything does happen. So we're going to jump in here and do uh, chapter five of the book, which is called Calling for Help. But as I was thumbing through, um, I saw that chapter six is called Find the Will to Survive. <laughs> and it's not very long, <laughs> although it should be most of the book. So I'm going to take um, that and at an appropriate moment, halfway through this uh, chapter five, I'm going to insert that thing about uh, find the will to survive. Otherwise, we're going to spend an hour talking about uh, uh, which buttons to press on a VHF. And that's that's not very interesting. OK, so um, calling for help. Uh, I think I have to do a lot of this training when I do um, uh, public sales on the boats and when we're doing any kind of sail training, it's absolutely essential. With Spartan Ocean Racing, we used to do two or three days of uh, training before we'd be involved in a race or a, a longer voyage. And the first day was only safety training. There's nothing else, just safety training. And so I've done the talk about uh, calling for help a million times. Interestingly, in the intervening years, I've had to call for help a number of times. So my talk has kind of modified over the years. And I think the key thing that I would say now with all of that equipment is you need to know where it is. You need to know that it works properly. You need to know that uh, all of the data is inputted to things like VHF and, uh, and SSB units. And you need to make sure that your subscription or your plan or whatever it is for your mobile phone, for your um, satellite phone, for all those things that just those, the the dots are on the I's and the crosses are on the T's. Because in all of that time that I've had to call for people using this equipment to, I have always known what to do. I've always had the equipment in front of me. And the only thing that's ever gone wrong for me in trying to call out from the boat is that there was some element of the uh, the setup of the unit or the, the administration of the unit, which was creating a problem. Didn't necessarily stop me being able to do it, but those little things. And I looked through this chapter, I know they don't say that. So I will say before we go into it, that making sure you understand how to use your equipment, making sure it's set up correctly, making sure that physically it can do what it's meant to do. Is that antenna run up the mast uh, actually degrading the signal? Are the copper plates on the bottom of the boat properly connected for the SSB? 
Yes, is the battery on the satellite phone charging correctly? And how long will it operate when it's not on charge? Because it normally sits on charge for like weeks and weeks and weeks without anybody taking off the cradle. How long will it actually last once it's in use? These little details, have those in mind, have those dialed in, and then what comes next should at least be enough to get help to your position, which ultimately we can listen to the experts, we can read the books, we can we can get all the equipment accumulated on board that possibly could be taken to see, but the final success is only if you get the outcome that you want. You're a tiny dot in a vast wasteland of water and you have to send out some kind of visual or auditory or digital uh, signal, some electromagnetic something or other, which then gets other human beings to come to your position. So if something that you do will make that happen, just go with it. I see in here there's a few bits where it says uh, that uh, mobile phones are not as effective as uh, VHFs. So, hmm, you want to do a lot of coastal sailing because they're very good. If you can make a phone call and get things rolling really quickly on an emergency, go for it. The, the point might be, though, that the other half of that action, the unseen element of that action, is that you have a friend who knows that you're going sailing, who has your passage plan, has the Coast Guard's numbers, has da, 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 all the information, and you phone them and say, Barry, we got a problem. And that's all Barry has to hear, and he'll spring into action. That's a brilliant mobile phone plan. You've got your own Joint Services uh, Rescue Coordination Center going on right there. But if you don't have that, then you're going to have to kind of somehow connect into systems that have been de developed over the years, which um, will will bring you aid. So there is a system of, of, of light signals, these flares. When you see something red up in the sky at night at sea, that's someone trying to connect with you or somebody else to get help to their position. Um, there are certain encoded VHF channels, which are channel 70, which is bringing GMDSS information. We'll be learning about that in a second to a remote publicly or privately operated server who is going to initiate some kind of action. It's going to come to you. You're getting to a point on the boat where you can't help yourself anymore and you have to tie into some other system of help that's around you now. They are there. There's brilliant flares, absolutely. And uh, and we can uh, use our, our mobile phones. We can use VHF. We can use EPUBs. We can use all these different things. But at the end of the day, uh, no action or uncoordinated action or uh, naivete um, is a barrier to making that communication successful. And uh, those, those ignorances, those mistakes, that naivety, uh, can lead to a situation where you can't tie into those external help systems and then you've got a very serious problem. So we can have all this gear on the boat that we've been talking about, the life jackets and the life rafts and all that kind of stuff, that's self-help. But if it's got to a point where, uh oh, this is a really serious problem and we want to communicate further afield, we have to know how that equipment works. So the good thing about this chapter is that this equipment is stuff that you're using all the time anyway. It's the mobile phone, it's the VHF, it's the SSB, um, it's stuff that's already on the boat. Um, things like the flares and things like the heliographs and things that it will talk about a little bit further further on, that's in your like most important bag on the boat. You've got all your luggage and stuff and you may have a little hold all that's got some very particular things that you own on the boat. But the second most important bag on the boat is the grab bag. <laughs> and the grab bag has got the flares in it. And you really need to know what's in that important bag. So these things, these systems that we have of communication that can render you aid, 
they're available and it's up to you to know how to uh, to connect with them efficiently. So before we go into this, as I've said, make sure that all that equipment works, make sure that you understand how that equipment works, make sure the administration's done for that equipment. And then this part next, this chapter, this is what we're meant to do. But anything that gets people to you, you've, you've successfully called for help. Okay, the first part, are you in distress? I guess that's the key element in all of this is what is distress, right? It says you are in distress when in the opinion of the skipper, a vessel, i.e. a boat, a yacht or a ship or a person is in grave and imminent danger and requires immediate assistance. So decanted down, uh, uh, distress is and, and the encumbrant uh, requirement or necessity to use Mayday um, is when anybody, a vessel or an individual crew member are in grave and imminent danger, which means that right now something very bad could happen to this person inside the next 10 minutes, which for anybody that goes in the water, if they've got any kind of injury or if they're succumbing to the cold effects of the water, 10 minutes is key. So distress, if you look at a situation, you think in the next 10 minutes, this person could be very seriously injured or die, or this vessel could be lost, that's distress. And it's it's great when you have the opportunity to work with people that have been trained in the military and as first responders, as uh, as health professionals, they're very good at spotting when emergencies start. And we, I don't think this element of the book goes into that, but uh, it's something worth mentioning that uh, when you identify that you or another vessel or someone that's under your care is in grave and imminent danger, it, it better be that you kick into gear as fast as you think you uh, can because if there's any encumbrance to you moving quickly, um, something has fallen down in your, your, your plans for how to go about your life. Because now a situation that you could have potentially negated is happening in front of you and you aren't able to react to it. Just buying the flares, just installing the VHF, that's like 40% of the job. The other 60% is knowing how it works and making sure it still works all the time. So when that grave and imminent danger comes on, that's distress. Uh, GMDSS, the Global Maritime Distress and Safety System, GMDSS, was fully implemented in February of 1999. It provides an international coordinated approach to calling for help and requires merchant vessels to carry at least two independent means of radio distress alerting. Leisurecraft carry calling equipment voluntarily. It also provides for urgency and safety communications and for the provision of navigation and weather warnings. So if we just take a step back from that for a moment, it is quite incredible that we live in a time where you have the ability to um, pick up a little device, press the button and speak to an international uh, coordinated um, safety system that uh, you can very quickly express what's happening to you and what assistance you require and, uh, and, and folks will come running. I've been reading all of these books for the Mariner's Library, which is our audiobook podcast, and um, I'm now about seven or eight into them. And of course, all of these books are very, very old, which is why we're, we're reading them and trying to preserve them. And um, they are totally on their own. They are absolutely at the mercy, mercy of the sea, and they don't even have the equipment that we have for dealing with that problem. They don't have life rafts. They don't have flare systems. And let alone do they have... Uh, the ability to pick up a microphone and just speak or press a button or whatever it is that that connects you with people that would just come and get you. The very first book that I did for the Mariner's Library was um, 
the book uh, by John Caldwell called Desperate Voyage. And he ends up in the most unbelievable situation, um, wrecked on these islands in the uh, South Seas. And, and after weeks of not knowing where he was or anything else and running out of food, and you read that on one day of the week as, you know, from the point of view of being the person presenting it. And then the next day we're reading about what's happening now and we can connect into a global network that can just come and get you. It's something that, that should be a bit like the water maker. It should be seen as like one of the miracles on board, but it, it's, it's so humdrum that we don't think about it. And if we allow it to fall into any kind of disrepair or disorganization, um, it's, uh, well, it's a poke in the eye for those who went before uh, who had nothing. Um, the type of equipment suggested uh, depends on where you sail. GMDSS divides the world into four areas. So this is where you have to kind of decide what kind of sailor you are and what you're likely to be doing with your boat and then uh, get the equipment which is one level up. <laughs> okay, don't get the equipment that's in the one that you think you're going to be in. Get the equipment for the one up because if anything happens and you're outside of the area that, you've, that you're expecting, you may not be able to communicate easily. So area A1 is within range of a shore-based VHF coast station fitted with DSC up to 50 miles depending on antenna height. If you go and buy all the equipment required for area A1, then you get blown offshore. It's got a bit of a problem, haven't you? Your VHF's not gonna work. So area A2, within range of a shore-based medium frequency coast station fitted with DSC. So that's between 100 and 300 miles, which is pretty much uh, in accordance with the um, the RYA uh, offshore. Is offshore 150 miles, hang on, or is it 250 miles? You have coastal skipper and then offshore skippers. But that, that um, amount there, about 200-ish miles, is where most systems um, that are shore-based are starting to thin out, including helicopter coverage. So when you go and out sailing and you think, okay, I'm going to be in area one, A1, get the stuff that's for area A2, and you're probably okay. But if you think you're going to be doing coastal work, you should also make sure you get the stuff for the next step up because it's not very far. 200 miles, you know, a really good day in a, in a sort of 35, 40 foot boat is, is a 200 mile day, right? And even when I'm doing stuff with the bigger boats, we'll often have 200 mile days, often, because we're just mooching along if we're lucky enough uh, to, you know, have the weather that's like that. We're not trying to buzz everywhere all the time. So 200 miles a day offshore, you can easily get a day offshore. So uh, for most people, I imagine that listening to this podcast, you're sailing in A2, um, but you should have the equipment for area A3. And we'll keep that in mind as we go forward in this chapter. Area A3 is between the latitudes of 70 degrees north and 70 degrees south. So it's just kind of all the bits in the middle of the map. And area A4 is north of 70 degrees north and south of 70 degrees south. So for most folks listening, it's gonna be area A3 is the kind of safety equipment that you uh, have. And in terms of the GMDSS, Global Maritime Distress and Safety System, you'll be wanting to uh, uh, understand every element of it up to uh, area A3. I don't think many people are gonna be requesting um, uh, <laughs> some kind of extraction from the North Pole. Uh, equipment covered by GMDSS includes your VHF, your medium frequency and high frequency single sideband uh, radio, uh, that's the SSB, uh, Inmarsat B, Inmarsat C, Fleet 77, Navtex, EPIRBs, PLBs, and SARTs, right? So uh, let's just go through some of those acronyms because we could walk ashore on them at the moment. GMDSS, the Global Maritime Distress and Safety System, includes your very high frequency and your single sideband 
radio so your um vhf so normal vhf stuff and that kind of bigger stuff for the long whip antenna that's your ssb ssb is not used very much now and i do see in these lines a little bit of the age of the book uh, inmarsat b and c there's not many people using inmarsat c that's a system which is used by commercial vessels it's used by some uh, race boats still uh, it gives you the ability to email backwards and forwards um, Fleet 77 went offline at the end of 2021, I believe. So that's not quite to on. Navtex, again, you can, you know, Navtex is still very, very useful. Um, I think a lot of people now, if you have any kind of electronic device that can download information for you, one of the most basic things it will provide is Navtex. So whilst I, I would say it's 50-50 people using uh, a Navtex unit on the boat and people just using something like an, an in-reach unit and uh, just reading it uh, straight off that. Um, your EPUBs, your electronic position indicating radio beacon, that orange or yellow thing which you're meant to take over the side with you if the boat's sinking. Um, PLBs, personal locator beacons, that's like a small EPUB, an EPUB for a person. And SARTs, search and rescue transponders. Um, I would say, uh, just to clarify, that it also covers AIS beacons, which are now very much a thing. So. The point being that as we go forward in this chapter, when we're discussing GMDSS, we're talking about the whole lot, all of that uh, gear, which means that most of the electronic um, safety gear that you have on the boat is connected to the system. So um, let's go on with the uh, chapter here. Raising the alarm. Mayday is the internationally recognized word to indicate distress. And that I will say that even if you're in uh, China and Japan, they absolutely know what Mayday means. It's a word that travels about as well as the word Coke. Um, digital selective calling, otherwise known as DSC, is a major part of the global maritime distress system. Okay, I'm going to avoid reading every acronym that's in the book because uh, it'll get very hard on the ears. Um, so yes, GMDSS is the global maritime distress and safety system, but I will contract it slightly just to make it a little bit more conversational. Otherwise, it's going to be a very hard conversation. Um, in a matter of seconds, pressing one button. Um, correctly, well that sounds hard, you've got to use the right finger, uh, will alert the rescue services and other shipping in the vicinity. The alert will tell them who you are, where you are, and that you need help. DSC should also reduce routine radio traffic on 16, channel 16, making it easier to hear voice distress calls. So, you know, when this stuff came in, I was quite early on in my career. I feel like 2001 was the time that this all started to hit. Certainly by 2009, it was it was uh, in big time. Um, that you know, just kind of reflecting back on it, suddenly like the VHFs had that red button on the side of them, and uh, suddenly then the uh, handheld VHFs, some of those had that red button on them. Um, you started to get a feeling like, okay, there's something going on here, and th the point is that yeah, this. This is, this is the button that all of those lonely, half-shipwrecked uh, sailors in our past would have absolutely uh, dreamt of, right? There is a button on the boat that if you press it correctly, according to this book, um, you can summon help to your position. And what's more, uh, if you've encoded it correctly, which is what they're referring to, it will be able to tell those would-be rescuers uh, what your boat looks like and who owns it and connections through to people that are ashore and um, what kind of uh, incident you've got going on on board the boat. Um, it's going to be absolutely invaluable. They know where you are, who you are, what's going on, and all you've done is pressed one button. There is a feeling that it takes way too much uh, work to work out what's on the other side of pressing that button. Um, 
it's worth getting into. I'd say that. We're not going to cover all of it here, but um, as we go through all these acronyms, and uh, I will try and make it as uh, easy to listen to as I, as I can, it's worth remembering that this is kind of like the instruction manual for a uh, something which uh, millions of sailors that went before us uh, prayed for, and, uh, and now it's here. And this is the instruction manual. Using a VHF DSC radio. Make sure the radio is switched on and receiving position information from the GPS. Different makes of radio transmitter operate in slightly different ways, but the general approach shown below will operate most sets. However, make sure everyone on board knows how to operate the radio. That might be the most key element of this first section, which is uh, if you've got all the gear on board and it all works correctly, the next part in the puzzle is making sure that everyone has a pretty good idea of of how it works even children don't get too caught up on protocol just this you press this button this has to say 16 um, turn this volume to here and then when you finish speaking take your finger off the button if just everyone knows how to do that you'll be streets ahead because that's the uh, the least that's required to get a message out to call for help what they're going to go through next is the most efficient method of doing it and the most reliable with the most um, redundancy but just a successful Calling for help is when help arrives, right? So make sure everyone has the basics. Okay, so it goes into now what is the most basic set of instructions for calling for help. Number one, lift the cover over the distress button, press and release the distress button once. This will usually provide a menu of types of distress. Unbelievably, if you've never gone through this kind of training before, when you depress and hold that red button for five seconds, it asks you what kind of emergency you're having, um, which you know, if you've got a good English sense of humor like my own, you'll see the dark side of that and appreciate that there's a menu for your misery. Um, but uh, you, collision, grounding, fire, man overboard, they have different responses. And uh, if you're close enough to the coast, it might dictate which kind of uh, um, Coast Guard vessel or Coast Guard aircraft is sent to you. So if you don't do anything else, though, you just press that button for five seconds and that menu comes up and then you don't know what it's about or you don't have your glasses on, you can't see it. Just press and hold that button for five more seconds. The unit will count down and then it will, it probably will send off an alarm on the boat saying, you know, this is, this has happened. God help you if that sort of happened accidentally. I'm not sure how that would happen, but there's an alarm to say to people on the boat, this is happening. But when that alarm's going off, it's also going off on all the vessels that are nearby. The transmission range for a, uh, DSC button, the little red button on a normal VHF unit, is whatever your VHF uh, transmission capability is at that time. So if you've got a really good connection to your antenna, you've got a nice big antenna, you've got a nice tall mast, the atmospheric conditions are correct, um, you can have a really maybe a 30 mile, 35 mile, or at nighttime up to 50 mile skip um, with a VHF transmission in that way. So if you're doing coastal work, that's that's pretty good. That's pretty darn good. And certainly if you're within range of the coast, then a coast uh, uh, receiving station will get a hold of it and then action will start to be taken very quickly. But um, one thing also we can note there is that uh, the distress uh, that you've sent will then be sent automatically every four minutes for as long as the radio can do so until an acknowledgement is received. So this is a, a, a one touch and walk away from it solution. You press and hold this button for two five second periods and it, the unit will just keep going as long as it can go, which is pretty darn amazing. It could literally still be ticking away on the boat when you've already got the life raft in the water. So um, understanding how that works, absolutely key. Mayday by voice, non-DSC VHF radios, gosh, you'd be ashamed of yourselves, 
uh, will need to be manually switched to channel 16. Press the channel 16 button and check that the radio is switched to high power. If not, push the high, low or 1 slash 25 button. So high power and low power on a VHF are just equal to 1 watt or 25 watts. So it may be marked as 1 slash 25 or it may be marked as high and low. So you set it to high and then you press the button and you make your VHF uh, call. I would say if you even if you've sent automatically the DSC call, you still make the uh, voice call if there's time available because there might be somebody on the other end who's you know, VHF is making all these alarm noises and they're canceling it because they're in the middle of a telephone call and like they don't really know exactly what this equipment is, but they will know what Mayday, Mayday, Mayday means when they hear it's coming across the VHF. So don't think it's one or the other. Press the button, do all that, and then immediately do your normal VHF call uh, thereafter using the voice. And as it notes here in the book, it's a good idea to have a reminder card next to the VHF so that it has all the details of what you meant to say written on it. And that can relieve a lot of um, pressure that people feel in, in that situation. Make sure to take your finger off the button once you've finished talking, of course. Okay, so the, the, the standardized uh, run through for uh, Mayday, we'll go through it quickly here and I'll just uh, have, I've got a few words to say about this. I've been teaching this for so many years. Of course, I've got a few uh, ideas on this. Uh, Mayday, Mayday, Mayday. This is, and then you say the name of the vessel three times. So this is uh, Yacht A, Yacht A, Yacht A, um, and give your call sign. It's kind of cool to have a call sign for your boat. Um, it's got it's a unique thing, which means it's just you and nobody else has got that call sign, uh, which can overcome any issues that people have comprehending the name of the vessel or being able to spell the name of the vessel or the fact that there's more than one vessel with that name. Um, it's not something though that probably is at the forefront of your mind in an emergency if you're not working commercially with um, with VHF. So having it written down at the side of the uh, VHF uh, unit is absolutely key bearing in mind that it might not have much importance to you but on the other end of things where it's being recorded on the bridge of a merchant vessel it could be a very useful piece of equipment um, if you have the dsc it says say your mmsi number again this is because if this is being received on the bridge of a merchant vessel or a safety vessel that's being sent to you their bridge uh, everything that's said on the bridge is recorded so as it comes over the speaker on the bridge it will be recorded there so there is a way for them to pull it up even though they may not be able to write it down at that moment that's not what's happening on the other end i think it's key to know that because you might think well what's the point in saying my mmsi number well if they can hear it and it's recorded, then someone can go back through and pick it out. That will give them all of your details in the Global Maritime Distress Safety System, which is like the contact details for the people at home and the color of your boat and your passage plan, all that kind of stuff. So include it if you can. If you've got it written down there, it's easy to do. You then repeat Mayday and say the yacht name, the call sign and the MMSI number again. This is where I'll, I'll knock out of exactly what they've written here and, and just put in something of my own here. If if you if you imagine that you're on a boat where the um, the power's being lost and uh, the batteries are about to go underwater, you've only got a number of seconds left potentially to make a VHF call. If you keep that in mind, it makes it very easy to understand what information you need to give. By the time you've said Mayday and the, the, the vessel's name and the MMSI number, nice and clearly once and potentially that has now cut through radio traffic which is the function of the word made or words mayday 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 they cut through all vhf traffic 
anybody who's not got a, an emergency call is immediately silent and then what comes next should be recorded by everybody that's uh, listening in on that uh, mayday um, if the batteries on the boat are about to go underwater i would say that probably the most important thing to tell folks is where you are right there's no other imp more important piece of information come send ships send more ships and when you get here you'll find out what it is that's going on here so if you can look at like this uh, list of what it is that you're meant to say and it can either be a, an imposition because you think oh god i gotta say it the right way or just look at it as that if the battery's about to go underwater just tell folks where you are and if it sparks directly after they'll still come to you right but don't get on with like telling them less important information so give your position and give the position in either latitude and longitude or a distance and a bearing from a charted object Again, people might not know exactly how um, how everything works in the nav station, but they need to know where to get the latitude and longitude, and it should be displayed at all times. It will be displayed on any VHF unit, which has got DSC built into it, because as we know now, one of the functions of this is that you can press this button and it will send your position and potentially the nature of the emergency. And uh, that means that it's, it's that unit's receiving GPS information. So it's displayed there. Where else is it displayed on your boat? Hopefully it's not things that involve pressing buttons because it's very unlikely that someone's going to just know how to do that in an emergency. They've got their gloves on, it's wet and all that stuff. Um, but it's the primary piece of information that has to be given. If, God help you, you can't do that, then you need to know, like, where are you? Have you been sailing south for six hours from pool? Are you 25 miles southeast of Berry Head? You know, anything. Like, it's, uh, you just have to have something that you can give them, which is where they might begin their search. So get that information in as quick as you can. And uh, then if the batteries uh, flame out, then uh, you've, you've at least given them that. The next thing to give is the nature of the distress. If you have the luck to have something like a helicopter coming after you, after you've dialed in for help, um, and th they will come to the vessel first, but it might be actually that it's a man overboard situation. So they can go immediately into a search pattern uh, based on your, um, your uh, position that you've given them as part of your mayday and uh, extra information that they've received from you during the time that they were inbound to your location. So uh, the nature of the distress might also, if you're in a situation where you need a tow, it's not much point sending a helicopter. If you're on fire, um, you know, it, again, not much point sending a helicopter unless you're all going to get in the water, but some kind of uh, a naval firefighting vessel may well be able to come and render some kind of assistance if they happen to be available. Um, the next part is that you, uh, you make the statement, I require immediate assistance. Well, that's uh, interesting that they throw that in there. Um, I guess this harkens back to the point that at the end of the day, it's the skipper's decision uh, whether you should abandon ship, whether you should send a, a mayday, that kind of stuff. And that uh, would Im uh, imply that the, you are working uh, on behalf as an agent for the captain, that you then say on behalf of the captain, uh, I require immediate assistance, or indeed the captain says it themselves. But I don't think it's that essential. I think <laughs> I think people have kind of got the uh, idea by the time you start the when you start a conversation with mayday, mayday, mayday. Like most people are like pretty clued into what's happening next. Uh, the number of people on board. Um, again, if you're uh, in a situation where you need to suddenly get everybody off the boat, then they may need to send uh, one piece of equipment rather than the other. Particularly, you have larger numbers of people on board. Um, if those people can be picked up from life rafts, uh, you know, if they're in the water. So the number of people on board starts to give a, a, a scene commander some kind of information about the overall general situation. We have a boat. It's this size. It's got this kind of emergency. It's got this number of people on board. And then they start keeping a tally all the 
way through. It would be terrible if you're in a situation where they thought there were seven people on board and there were actually nine and they pull seven people from the water, pat themselves on the back and then head home before one of the survivors is able to say, where are you know X and Y? Like So this is a key piece of information. At the end of the day, it's only really about the... Uh, as trying to save life, not rather than equipment. So it's absolutely appropriate that the number of people involved in this emergency is known right at the top of the list. Further information, uh, yeah, anything that uh, may help rescue us, such as uh, that we are abandoning to a life raft, that we've triggered our EPUB or a PLB or something. So you can then um, um, give them any other further information, but don't get too chatty. You need to get your finger off the button relatively quickly because what you want to hear next is someone uh, saying back, you know, we've received it and then start relaying information back and forwards to you. So uh, things that are pertinent to it. Um, we are under uh, storm trysail and jib. That's pertinent because now they're looking for a boat with two orange sails. Um, we have got a life raft towed from the stern quarter. Oh, great. Okay, no problem. We realize that this may be a touch and go situation. You may be in the life raft or the boat when we get to you. This kind of stuff, right? At the end of it, it says here just to say over. Um, I, I've always been taught that you uh, finish it up by saying mayday and then the name of the vessel again and then say over after that. So, uh, you know, but we shouldn't get caught too caught up in the exact protocol because again, I think it creates that pressure that might lead to someone delaying uh, sending a, a mayday. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's very interesting to understand the other side of what happens when you start calling out from your vessel. And then I, I think it, you start to realize what a miracle it, it is. And certainly if you're sailing within, you know, 50 odd miles of the coast of the UK, if you're in the channel, if you're over in the North Sea somewhere, just picking up that that uh, that device that's inside your boat and pressing the button asking for help could mean a helicopter's with you within an hour if you're 50 miles offshore. In fact, quite likely they'll be there within an hour. That is it's unprecedented. We've never had this kind of thing before. But um, uh, knowing how to use it correctly is absolutely essential. So yeah, get a copy of this uh, book and have it on board. Um, you know, that's a so it was a good night in, isn't it? Reading safety manuals on the boat. Okay, so continuing on, it, uh, it in finishing up its point about pressing the DSC button, it says you should receive a digital acknowledgement from the rescue services or ship if a DSC distress alert was sent, uh, or you'll get a follow-up voice reply. So that's the thing. Send the distress, and then if you can, wait by the unit and begin uh, the conversation with the rescue services. If no acknowledgement or voice reply is heard, check the batteries are on, okay? Immediately now you're into like, uh, if you unless you've really trained your crew, it's extremely unlikely they're gonna be able to start problem solving your VHF uh, woes. This equipment needs, needs to work. And if it's not working at the unit, it just is not working. Um, Check the check the set is switched on. Oh dear, the volume level's correct, and that channel 16 and high power are selected. Repeat the procedure. Mm -mm. Um, sure, check all that first. If you don't get a response, the other thing is that maybe nobody hears you, and that's something perhaps that's more suitable for those who sail out of sight of land uh, at, at great length, as I do, or those who are in more remote parts of the world need to consider that. Uh, there may not be anybody within the range of the VHF that's actually going to help you. There might not be anybody or there might not be anybody that's going to help you. So that's interesting. That takes us into this, which is uh, the next part of the book, VHF versus a mobile phone. Uh, a mobile phone can be used to call for help, but it's a poor substitute for a marine VHF radio. The reasons being, one, the VHF radios have a greater range. Um, definitely they do. I think first you'll pick up a cell phone range uh, offshore is about 15 miles. Um but again, if you're in that 
conundrum where there might not be anybody that is going to come and help you, um, th- then having a VHF radio is not important. But uh, you might be able to clock into a cell phone network, which is then going to connect you with folks that will come and help you. Um, if you're on a, a, a steeply, uh, a shoreline that's got a lot of steep cliffs um, and you're about to go onto them, there's nobody coming from the sea or from the land who's going to be able to help you, uh, not safely. You need to connect through, have them connect through to a joint services rescue center, or you need to do that yourself with a, uh, a phone call. Um, you may not be in the range of the people that can uh, give you, render you the best help uh, with a VHF. So it's it's absolutely depends on your situation. That's where you need to know how your equipment works and how it's likely to operate in a in an emergency situation. Search and rescue services can determine and home in on VHF transmissions. They have a longer battery life and can send distress calls in seconds if you've got DSC, the digital selective calling, on your uh, VHF. Uh, Mobile phones are designed for land use. Yes, they are, although bear in mind now that uh, most mobile phones are waterproof, certainly the latest ones uh, in the last five years. And uh, I I have rescued somebody out of the water who uh, had been on YouTube getting videos on how to uh, write a ski-doo that had uh, filled with water and was uh, upturned and wouldn't turn over on its own automatically, um, and then use the flashlight on it to uh, signal to me. So mobile phone, very useful to him there. Uh, Mobile phones have poor coverage at sea and reduced range, absolutely. Uh, They only alert the person you call. However, in a real emergency, a mobile phone is better than nothing. It it also can be that um, you have a plan where you have somebody who's ashore who knows if they get that coded call from you with whatever that word is, that a whole heap of things can start to happen. So uh, don't don't write it off entirely. Just use everything that's available. Uh, I don't think it's wise for the the writers of the book to like make out like you shouldn't bother trying to use a mobile phone. I think that's where I'm concerned. Like there's lots of situations where it would be useful. The emergency services operator will be the first one available and may be located anywhere in the country. Okay. Uh, what's that referring to? The emergency services operator will be the first one available and may be located anywhere in the country. Oh, if you phone in on your mobile phone, you're going to get an emergency services operator who could be anywhere in the country. Yeah, sure, but they're immediately going to route you through to, it's not like they have to like, you know, dial up Darlington 355 like it's the 1950s. They press a button and they're immediately connected to the next people. So the book perhaps showing its age a little bit there. Um, use the national emergency services number in your country. And uh, if you're traveling, make sure you know what it is in other countries. For example, in South Africa, it's 10111. In Australia, it's uh, one, no, is it Australia? 000. I'm looking at a little list they've got here. I don't remember that. I thought it was 911. Okay, well, there you go. So I've just learned, don't have, don't be with me if I'm having a boating accident and using a mobile phone to rescuers in Australia because I'll be dialing the wrong number. Uh, Distress calls uh, can also be made on high-frequency SSB radios, although the number of stations now monitoring these frequencies is limited. Absolutely. I remember when I worked for Outward Bound, um, we used to have a five-past-eight morning meeting. Every day, morning meeting, five-past-eight. And it was based on the fact that um, back in the day, from the top of the hour to uh, five minutes past the hour was listening time, where 2182 on the uh, high frequency radio and uh, 16 were listened to on VHF. And then people who are at sea who were uh, in distress, what you would hope is that they would be aware that there was an open area of communication at the top of the hour from 00 to 05, and that they would then be listening in 
so that they would then be able to speak during that time and even a faint transmission would be heard. But um, those days are long gone now. That's all uh, uh, 2182. I think there's very few people listening on that anymore. Like the boats that I've got, I've got um, uh, HF on and they've got a single sideband on, but um, I don't even have it on most of the time. That's more to do with power consumption on a, on a yacht, but I'm not feeling like I'm being disrespectful or, or or criminal in not listening at the top of the hour on 2182 like that's uh that's 10 or 15 years out of date now i am reliably informed that you can still get uh um weather forecasts uh coming down from um oh, who was it like sail docks or someone and coming in via ssb so that's pretty amazing that it's able to find its way through come the Come the robot take over the world, then we'll all be on that kind of thing. But um, I don't think there's many folks listening now. So really, your options are the red button or calling on VHF on channel 16 on high power or your mobile phone. And after that, you're into things which are not using your voice. And it's just trying to make sure that people around you understand an international set of signals. Okay, need help, but you are not in distress is the next title. You can also ask for assistance by making a pan-pan call on the radio preceded by an uh, urgency alert on the DSC. Okay, yeah, you can, the DSC has like a step-down thing, like you can ask for help without it being an absolute emergency. Um, That might be where you've got somebody on board that's injured or sick or something, uh, or there's some something wrong with the boat but it's not um it's not actually uh, uh, grave or imminent danger right now so pan pan is your next step down but let's not muddy the waters with that i think uh grave and imminent danger is what we're talking about here and um yeah it's uh it's uh it's all about the mayday right uh, long range radio. The Mayday distress call is also used on long range radio systems. It goes through all the different frequencies here, which it's not really that important for us to know, except for the fact that down here, the choice of frequency to use on SSB when calling for uh, distress uh, depends on the location of the boat. In sea area A2, which remember is only just offshore, the alert should be sent on 2187.5. And uh, in sea area A3, the alert should be sent on 8414.5 and on all other HF DSC frequencies. Hang on, 2182. Two, oh, medium frequency. Okay, yeah. So you send your distress information on 2187.5 in uh, close by the coast, and in sea areas A3, you should be using 8414.5. Well, I think that 99% of the people listening to this podcast that goes totally over their head as it almost does for me. I've got my long range operators a license for for ssb communication what have you but it was a long time ago and i've got to say i look on the various knobs and dials on the ssb unit on um, the maxi with a little bit of um, foreboding that uh, if i get in there i'm going to realize i I don't know what i'm doing so um, it's not a primary uh, vector for getting in uh, assistance on the boat nothing is designed around it it's a complete accessory to the uh, situation so i guess there's for me there's a little bit of um nostalgia with having it on board really i should just take it off it's so little used around uh, the areas where i sail but um, when i worked in hong kong um, for many years um, we would do races down to the philippines and down to vietnam and that you couldn't use uh, satellite phones because the chinese wouldn't allow the satellites to fly over the country so there was no sat phone coverage in the south china sea so we used the um, ssb radios even on like 30 well, I guess 35 would be the absolute smallest, but like 40, 45 foot boats would have to have an SSB radio uh, fitted. And then we'd have these schedules every six hours, all the boats talking to each other. So there's some um, sentimentality there for me. But uh, yeah, if it actually came to it, I don't think, don't rely on me to absolutely know what the frequencies are to send distress in uh, sea area A3 because it ain't going to happen. 
uh, EPIRBs, an emergency position indicator. This is kind of like the stuff that we mostly, we know that this gear is, so this all comes under the Global Maritime Distress Safety System. The EPIRB is part of that system. That's what it's tying into. So an emergency position indicating radio beacon, EPIRB, will alert the rescue services by sending a distress signal via satellites. Two sets of satellites operated by COSPAS SARSAT pick up the signals and are known as GEOs and LEOs. So that's Geo, geo uh, Stationary Earth Orbit and Low Earth Orbit, those two um, uh, systems it's talking about. The Geo satellites are in, oh, Geostationary Orbit. I kind of thought it was so clever for telling you that. Um, whereas the LEO are in Low Earth Polar Orbit and circle the Earth approximately every 12 hours. There are two types of EPUB, standard and GPS. Both transmit a signal on 406 megahertz, which uh, includes an identification code. So um, I'm not going to get into exactly reading what's here because I think it, a lot of people that could do with hearing some of this stuff will tune out when they hear this. The main deal is that the older style of uh, EPUBs, it just sends a signal with a uh, identification code to a satellite. And it would be transmitting and transmitting and transmitting until it picked up a satellite. And then that satellite would then have to continue on its orbit, however much further around the world it went, until it was then inside of a, a ground receiving station, which would receive the signal from the satellite and then say, at this time, in this general area, this identification signal was sent, which... Uh, then is going to start get people on the way to you. That is a pretty amazing situation already, but you can see how it's a bit, uh, it's not it's not very exact. The more modern EPUBs that have GPS built into them, it sends its GPS position. This is a much more interesting piece of information to be sending. As we said earlier, if you can't do anything else, just say, I'm in trouble and this is where I am. And that's what these units are doing. So they send it up to the satellite, which still has to continue on its flight until it's over a... Uh, a ground receiving station, but then when it sends it, it can say at this time, at this exact location, uh, this vessel was picked up. The, um, the the proximity of those old EPUBs is a bit worrying. That you know they could be within like five or six miles. It, the, the satellite only knows roughly which piece of ocean it's over. It doesn't know anything else, and your signal is being propagated out from the top of the EPUB in a sphere. So it's uh, the satellite comes into an area which has that signal in it. It in a period of its flight, it's in the area where that signal is being propagated, even though it's momentary from the satellite's point of view, the speed it's going. But it can only give a certain amount of information about where it picked up that signal. So if you're going to go and buy an, e an EPUB, don't even look at the cheap ones. It's not worth it. If you're up, if you're really, really, really on a shoestring, it's like eat less, take a proper EPUB that's got uh, GPS on it, right? <laughs> that's that's sale more, use less diesel, whatever you need to do. But you need to get the one that's got the GPS built into it. The PLBs, the personal locator beacons, which I'm sure it will talk about later on, They some of the older ones, they had to run for like 40 odd minutes before it would uh, get a, a, a signal out. Oh, here we go. In fact, I'm just reading ahead in the book. It says... Um, they could uh, give a position to within three nautical miles, that's five kilometers, within 40 to 120 minutes, depending on your location. So that's how long it took for the satellites to work out where it was by multiple overpasses. So if you get an EPUB, you know, we can talk about what frequencies it's sending things out on and battery life, all the rest of it, but pff, make sure a GPS one to begin with. Um, GPS enabled EPUBs uh, transmit the position to those uh, geostationary satellites. Um, and then they can downlink that to an earth station. Brilliant. Standard EPUBs positions are found using Doppler frequency shift um, 
and these require two satellite passes before an approximate position can be found. Each satellite will hold and then download data as soon as the ground station comes into range. We don't want that. We want EPUBs with GPS in. Okay, what else has it got to say? I don't want to know anything else about... It's giving me all the frequencies and all the rest of this stuff. Standard EPUBs, it says... Uh, this provides distress alert immediately if the Earth station is within the satellite range and a position to within three nautical miles. Uh, EPUBs can be activated manually or automatically on contact with the sea. Float-free versions are also available. Built to solar standards, they have a battery life of 48 hours and will float upright. Okay, brilliant. That's an important thing. On the Maxi that we've got, we've got a float-free cradle that's inside the boat. It's like connected to the wall inside the boat. Now, luckily, it's the it's the second um, uh, EPUB. The other one is in the grab bag, and actually that unit is on the wall, but the actual EPUB from it is also in the grab bag, which is my uh, favoured place to put these things. Both the grab bags just at the bottom of the stairs, very easy to get. All the crew have had lots of training before they uh, are able to go to sea, so we all know grab those bags in the event of leaving. And we have two grab bags each with an EPUB in because we have two life rafts. Okay, so that's my system. Normally those float-free ones is, is also an option, but um, there was a uh, uh, little chance of getting the one off the wall that where it had been uh, stuck down with 5200s and the um, the little auto-release thing inside it was out of date and it's just basically, we'll just leave it on the wall until it comes time to you know do some aesthetic work in that area. The float-free ones, that, that, that one though was placed there as a float-free option by a previous owner of the boat um, in complete contradiction to what it is that it does. That is intended to be put somewhere where the unit can float free from the boat in the event of emergency and automatically trigger itself. This is fantastic. Now we've got something that if the boat goes down, uh, alongside the life jackets we've learned about, you're floating around in the ocean, alongside the life rafts which automatically detach themselves from the boats with their hydrostatic releases that's going to pop up next to you the EPUB is going to pop up from the boat like this is genius stuff but if the owner of the boat attaches that inside the boat <laughs> there's, there's a problem right so as I said at the very top of all this got to make sure that this equipment works properly and that you understand it uh, before you ever go to sea all right that's i guess <laughs> i shan't uh, dally too long as it'll take us hours and hours to get through this but uh, i can't underline that enough it has to all do what it says on the packet and you need to have read the packet okay let's continue with the book now it says that um, 406 epubs um, so that's the ones the normal ones operating on 406 megahertz are required to be registered in the country of their vessel's flag these details are used to check the authenticity of a distress alert According to the MCA, about half of the UK's population of EPUBs and PLBs, so personal locator beacons, and that's approximately 40,000, are not registered. This limits the effectiveness of the beacons. Registration is free and can be entered and updated online. So for those in America, for those in Australia, for South Africa um, or the UK, different areas, when that EPUB goes off, it connects with the uh, nation state that your boat's registered to, and then things are coordinated from there, part of this global maritime distress and safety system. Um, if it's not registered, then they will know, okay, it's going off, but they won't know whose it is or anything else. Now, I having spoken to enough people that work for the MCA in the UK, the Marine Coast Guard Authority, uh, if, a, if an EPUB is going off at sea in an at sea area, they're going to respond to it, whether it's registered or not. I think there's an, something else you could say, which is that if half of the PLBs and the uh, EPUBs are not registered, it must be 
complicated to register them or somehow distasteful to the people that are doing it or it's not underlined clearly what the benefits are or the benefits are marginal that's really your only options that 20,000 people all make the same decision to not do this key stage of it means that it either is not necessary they don't want to do it or it's hard to do it um if it goes off and it's uh, in the car park of a yacht club, then they're a lot more circumspect about it. And what they want your details for is so that they can make a cursory and administrative phone call to you. You're not in trouble if it's accidentally gone off in the car, but to make sure that um, it can be taken off their screen. Okay, so let's uh, continue on now with the uh, the book. It uh, gives us the reminder also that you've got to check the batteries on the EPUB. They only last for a certain amount of time. Uh, after that, the manufacturers will not guarantee the chemistry inside them. So it's a pretty, it's kind of a red mark on your ledger. If you've got an EPUB, you know it's important, but then the, the battery's defunct. You're not sure if it will work or how long it will work for. Um, you can replace the batteries. If, the, if it's quite a new unit um, and it's silly to throw it out, um, have a look at uh, getting that done. You can find places online, just input to Google that you want to change the batteries on an EPUB and then put the manufacturer's name, McMurdo or ACR, whatever it is, and um, you'll find places that'll do it. But the price point is about 50% of the cost of a new EPUB. So you just have to make your own kind of decision about how you're going to uh, run that uh, gauntlet. What I think if you're going to replace the batteries, um, certainly the manufacturers of the EPUBs will say it has to be done by trained personnel. And I think logically, you know, it is not designed to be done by the user. You're not in open new virgin territory if you find yourself unscrewing the top of the EPUB to see exactly how difficult it is to change the battery. It's not. The concern is that if your sealing job on it is not perfect and it does ever have to be used, your desire to save a couple hundred bucks could be the thing that cuts off that connection to the global maritime distress and safety system. So get a professional to do it, right? But um, the price point, it's about half of a new one. It's like 300 odd bucks to get it to a new one, a new battery, sorry. Okay, let's continue on here. So we don't have, uh, we can at least be halfway by now. PLBs, yeah, personal locator beacons. Um, I'm just going to, they're telling us about like GPS ones and non-GPS ones. The non-GPS ones are pretty big and there's not many of them available on the market now. Pretty much all the PLBs you're going to come across, personal locator beacons are probably made by ACR, McMurdo, someone like that, who's uh, a well-known manufacturer in the, in the yachting space. And those ones are all GPS. So this is going to send a GPS uh, signal up to the satellite and it's going to tell it, where you are and it's going to be accurate within 100 meters within five minutes so it has to run for a while it's not going to float it's not going to automatically go off on its own it's going to be something you need to have and know how to use but it can literally be in a pocket so when i'm sailing inshore when i'm within about 150 200 miles of the coast helicopter range i'll have a plb in my pocket at all times and the idea being if i go into the water i could actually get assistance from the shore or from others the likelihood of me going into the water off a big boat in the middle of the ocean with just a life jacket on and nothing else to thermally protect me, I'm going to be dead quicker than most things can get to me. I have an AIS beacon in my life jacket, which I'm wearing at sea, which is talking to the vessels that are immediately around me. But it's very unlikely that uh, an EPIR message is going to connect with a ship that's within a range that is going to get to me before I go hypothermic in most ocean situations that I sail in. But inshore within 200 miles of the coast that is a very very strong piece of equipment to have because when that goes off which could be 20 minutes later it's you know they're saying do we go or not go and they're saying go for it it could be 40 minutes until a helicopter's with you 
40 minutes, you could probably survive that in quite cold water, certainly if you had the strength of will to know that that's what's likely going to be happening. But if it's going to be a couple of hours or a couple more than that, you know, five or six hours for a ship to get to me, at least it's, uh, it's not worth me having in my pocket at sea. But um, the, the, I think that there's something definitely to have. And I think that um, it would be awesome to get onto a life raft where everybody's got a life jacket on with an AIS beacon in the jacket and they've all got an EPUB in their pocket so their own personal locator beacon. And then in sequence over days or whatever it is, we can keep setting those off and trying try to make contact with the outside world. The likely that happens almost zero, but you know, theoretically it could be possible. Uh, SARTs is the other thing they want us to know about. Search and rescue transponders. Um, search and rescue transponders... Um, we have one on the boat which is uh you know commercially uh orientated and um i think it's the only boat i've been on in 10 years where i've seen an actual sart unit i think again this book might be showing its age a little bit i don't think many um yachts yachts people going out uh, cruising going out racing have got sarts on board this thing's like um it's like four coke cans stacked up on top of each other it's orange it's plastic it's got a big extending carbon fiber mast on it and a little piece of um orange string on it that you pull that that pulls the little pin out and then this thing stands by to talk to radars which may ping it so if a x-band radar sends a signal which is received by this unit it sends out a, a signal which basically disrupts the um the, the the receiving station the radar receiving station um and that uh um, interplay with the listening radar creates a unique signal on the scope which is interpreted as a series of dotted lines which uh, emanate from the position of the SART in the water. Does that make sense? So it does a particular kind of interference which creates a particular kind of effect on a radar and it, the, the operator will see that they're at the center of their radar screen and there's some target around them which is sending a series of dotted lines from that target's location to the center of the screen. So basically it creates like a, a big digital uh, signpost in the middle of the ocean saying, go this way. As you get closer, the um, uh, interference will appear like concentric rings around the target on this on the radar scope, which then gives you a kind of X marks a spot, I am here kind of thing. It's a brilliant piece of uh, technology, but it's one that again, is another thing that you have to buy if you're going to be like extending all of your options out as far as you possibly can. But it's a very strong one to have. And uh, life rafts are designed with a kind of um, uh, snorkel thing that are kind of like a hole in the ceiling with a long uh, collar on it. And that's for putting the SART through because it's a brilliant piece of equipment to have if uh, people are looking for you. But if you're doing search and rescue, any kind of um, electromagnetic uh, signal that you can pick up can work as a transponder. So where these radar-based units have gone out of um, out of uh, fashion or out of function maybe is because a lot of EPUBs now have a, a, a signal inside them, a 121.5 megahertz signal, which is being produced by the unit as well, which can be used um, on a, a signal locating equipment on board search and rescue vessels. And it's very easy for them to then hone in on your signal using a uh, like an, an audio signal rather than a radar signal, just a slightly different position in the electromagnetic scale. So having that extra unit on board very useful most big ships are driving around with a radar on all the entire time but being able to propagate a signal which goes uh, 50 miles and can also be picked up by aircraft and things also very useful and comes in a smaller form factor and can be put in alongside the epub it's like you can see why you don't see um sarts so much anymore but if you 
have got one and it is possible to use it it's another thing in your armory to try and um, get uh, get some help to you okay AIS the AI another acronym good lord let's um, I'm gonna they've got a whole section here on AIS but uh, in uh, in hoping to uh, move through this uh, section of electronic devices uh, relatively quickly I'll just give you the skinny from my perspective having used them and, and implemented them so the first thing to get past is these acronyms AIS is automated identification system and that's a system which is on board the boat um, could also be part of your VHF unit a lot of VHF units act as receivers of AIS information which is being sent out by all the vessels around you pretty much all leisure vessels have it but definitely all commercial vessels have it and it's constantly sending out to information which is relating to the speed of the vessel the direction of the vessel the type of vessel the dimensions of the vessel the next port all sorts of things and this system can display the signal sent out from a small uh, integrated unit in the life jacket of someone who's gone over the side of the boat and if you haven't clued into the revolution that's going on with this stuff. This is a great piece of equipment to have. It's also excellent to share your purchase of this with loved ones so that they realize that you have this, which um, helps to lower the stress on those left at home when you go out doing whatever you're doing on a boat. The fact that you can go in the water and something is, your life jacket is going to go off. It's going to have the light on it. It's got the whistle. It's got the retroflective tape. It's got the uh, spray hood. And it's got an electronic beacon that runs for 24 hours that tells everybody within uh, line of sight of you, um, you know, that you're there. This is pretty amazing technology. But um, just understanding how they work is, uh, is uh, a key thing here. So once again, if you're in places like the UK, you can register these to your boat, which brings a, another level of... Um, administration but also brings another level of, uh, of, of, of protection that uh, when this AIS beacon goes off people will then know which boat it's from that boat specifically will receive a, uh, a, a warning on board from the VHF uh, unit telling them that someone's gone over the side of the boat like this is a very powerful thing to have these registered to the boat but even if they're not they still operate in the same way and an AI system will recognize them as a man overboard uh, beacon and uh, will display them nonetheless. So this is another reason why people don't register these things. It's still pretty miraculous even when you don't, uh, um, don't register them. So the signal that these things send out, basically there's a, a ribbon. This thing is mounted on the whistle of your life jacket. So whistle mounted on the uh, top up valve on your life jacket next to the whistle. And uh, there's a ribbon then goes around the bladder when it's deflated, when it's in its normal storage position, that's quite tight. And one end of the ribbon is secured on the unit. The other end of the ribbon is secured on the activation pin. And so when the bladder inflates due to the automatic inflation unit on the life jacket, as we've discussed before, the ribbon goes tight, the pin is pulled on the unit, the antenna is released and suddenly this thing starts transmitting and can be picked up by all vessels within line of sight. And that is important to remember, it's a small, essentially VHF um, unit that's sending out a digitally encoded signal to all of the vessels around it on channel, what comes out as being channel 70. But that means because it's electromagnetic propagation that it can only be received by aerials which can essentially see you on the surface of the water. There is a massive advantage in the propagation point being higher up in the air. If you've got a handheld VHF and you're at the bottom of the mast, it can be heard at one range ring. And if you're at the top of the mast, it can be heard at a larger range ring. Um, if you're down on the surface of the water with a small you know, 20 centimeter, four inch uh, um, antenna on your AIS beacon, it can't get very far 
but it probably can get, <clears throat> uh, let's say, 10 miles. If you're lucky, if you've got a big ship with a, a big uh, antenna set, by 10 miles, a ship is, you know what? Actually, I'm going to update that. I'd say 15 miles. That's not fair to say. Uh, a ship can, uh, a ship's antennas can probably get over the horizon and get to something that's on the water. It'd be interesting to, does anybody know the actual answer to that? If, um, if a ship, now I, I would say that the top of a ship, a big container ship or something will come over the horizon. You maybe just get antennas and tops of cranes and stuff when it's 15 miles away. By 10 miles away, it's hull up, um, but uh, it's going to come have to come within you know seven, eight miles before you actually see the waterline. That's the normal progression of a vessel coming to you over the horizon. Um, it'd be interesting to know what the actual maximum propagation uh, signal is on an AIS beacon that's on the water. I'm just trying to see here if it says anything on this. Uh, no, it says that the battery lasts for 24 hours, but it doesn't say exactly how far it'd go. Well, if you've got a handheld VHF that's operating on one watt and you're standing on the deck of the boat, you can reliably expect to be picked up by a, a big ship that's 10 miles away or by another vessel that's certainly 7 to uh, 10 miles away. If you're on the surface of the water, you're even lower. So I'd say you'd be looking at maximum range the tune of 10 miles for most yachts and 15 miles maybe for a big ship but that's a massive area if it's 15 miles all around you that's a huge patch of ocean which you've then suddenly got some control over when a vessel moves into that patch of water they will become aware potentially of your um, being in distress on that patch of water that massively increases the footprint that you are providing for would-be rescuers so the uh, book then goes on and talks about 121.5 megahertz PLBs, which is a radio direction finding type PLB. I'm not aware of any of those that are in use now, but when I've been buying uh, race boats, which were fitted out in the 1990s, and I've had two or three which have got a lot of the original equipment on, I bought them in a, almost as they were in the last race type position, and they've got these um, radio direction finding units on the on the two back corners of the boat, and then there's a deployable 121.5 megahertz uh, search and rescue transponder that you throw into the water. That's 90s tech. Um, I don't think it's something that anybody's really using now. The next one, it says, is uh, proprietary uh, man overboard alerting devices that work on non-search and rescue frequencies are also available. Some are capable of being linked to the GPS man overboard button or an autopilot or may come with a suitable radio direction finder. So let's take radio direction finder out of the equation because we no one's really doing that anymore. There are things, though, like the... Uh, the Raymarine system, which is that little band that you put around your wrist. I forget, it's called like safety tag or man overboard tag, or I forget now what it is, but um, it, you basically wear it like a watch. And if it gets more than, I think it's 30 meters away from the uh, the, the base station, then it sets off an alarm. And um, you, you can uh, connect to the autopilot system. And if you've got one of these systems on the boat, that there's an output uh, from the um, safety tag base station which um, will output supposedly to like a siren or something on the boat, which could be very useful. But that outcoming voltage, which is switched when it detects the fact that one of the crew has left the, the safe range, that output can be put into the autopilot. So you could then have the autopilot disengage, which is something I've experimented with on solo boats, because what it would mean is that the boat would essentially go out of control. But if you're on an open 60 and you fall off the back, there's no way that there's no way possible for it to like circle back to you or something that's not possible. So you have two choices out of control, probably on its side, dragging sideways, still at a speed you can't catch up with it 
or it just continues on at 15, 16 knots. So people have rigged, and I've tried doing it as well, um, systems. The the issue you get on those boats is that um, the boats are made of carbon fiber, and these kind of electromagnetic systems cannot propagate through carbon fiber. So if you are wearing it, and then you like go into the lazarette, it suddenly, it suddenly thinks you've left the boat, or if you go up the mast, I discovered that once previously as well. <clears throat> Luckily, I had the autopilot um, remote me so I could re-engage it, but invariably, it'll pick the most inconvenient moment possible to think that you're not on the boat and then disengage the autopilot, which is a little crazy, but um, it's probably better to have that than anything else. And if you're just two of you on the boat, um, yeah, certainly you can get uh, the output from the safety tag system, input it to your autopilot, and then the person down below off watch uh, asleep will detect, okay, the boat's now on its side or the spinnaker's ripped or the sails are shaken or whatever. There'll be some big indicator that the solitary person on deck has now left the deck or is in the lazarette. Um, it goes on to talk about the Inmarsat C and Mini C systems. Again, I don't think this is something that a lot of people are doing. Um, they can coordinate with um, land earth stations at LESs and send these multi-packet multi data set transfer systems where they can do some emailing, they can do um, uh, all sorts of message uh, like nav text and what have you and uh, uh, IMO um, uh, notices to mariners. And there's a lot of information can come through on a, a mini uh, C system, but I just don't think it's something that most people are going to be using. It then goes on to discuss the Inmarsat system and, and the Fleet 77 system. And then it quickly gets through to what we want to talk about, which is satellite mobile phones, messengers and trackers. And these are the, this will be kind of bringing us into the end of this section. I've got something I'm going to finish up with. Um, we're about an hour in, but I think there's a, a bit of space here to fit in something else interesting. But the last message on um, the global maritime distress and safety system and calling out for help is satellite phones. Cell phones, yeah, they only have a certain range. They can be very useful in that, uh, in that range. But satellite phones have been such a game changer. If you're doing a race, they'll give you all of the numbers of all the boats around you. And that's been useful uh, for the many years that it's been done like that. But there was always the problem of how much does it cost and that people have this idea that satellite phone connections are very, very expensive. There's a number of things on the market now which can make this uh, satellite communication problem quite a small problem. Um, I'll tell you about the things that I've got on the boat. Um, I think we can kind of uh, dispense with uh, what it's saying in the book here because um, it's a very kind of generic thing. It does mention some of the proprietary uh, units that I wanted to talk about, so I'll maybe circle back around later. But the, the, the small package of gear which I've come to rely on for this stuff has been honed down over years of being at sea, and it all fits into a 1300cc um, uh, Pelly case, so you can take it from boat to boat with you. I always have uh, my own satellite phone, and whatever is the um, amount of uh, credit that's on that phone, I know what it is. In, in, and what I'm saying by that is you don't have to have, you know, thousands of minutes per month. They are not cheap, these plans. But uh, equally, it's not good to have the absolutely bare bones plan. It's better to have one that will give you a certain number of free minutes and then it'll start to add on minutes at a somewhat reasonable cost. If at the end of the day you're involved in an emergency situation, you save your life or somebody else's life or avoid an emergency because your sat phone, the sat phone bill is not, you're not going to be turning your nose up at that because it's an extra couple of hundred pounds or something, right? Um, but you don't have to have a um, subscription which is ticking away costing you thousands of years, just thousands of dollars a year just in case. So I have a package and I know what that package is. It's normally around the bones of like 30 or 40 minutes a month. And then I add on on top of that because this is not my primary source of communication. It's just there as a backup. The primary source of communication is an Iridium Go. 
So if you haven't seen these before, they're not very big. They're like four inches by three inch by one inch, um, which is like what, eight, eight centimeters by six centimeters by two centimeters. It's not very big. It's much, not much bigger than a big packet of cigarettes, really. Um, it's got a USB plug-in. It can take an external antenna. It has a, a, a SIM card in it, which allows it to make contact with a satellite communication system. And it's got a small antenna about the size of a lighter that kind of flicks up on the side of it. Um, very simple to interact with the top of it. And what it does is it serves as a hub for up to five wirelessly connected, Bluetooth connected devices. And then you download the associated app with it, which again, I know I'm can, people are tuning out, like downloading apps and the rest of it. This stuff is gold. You can get weather, you can communicate with friends, you can talk by voice, you can send emails, you can send pictures, you can receive pictures, you can do all this stuff and it's just not that difficult to learn about it and it totally transforms the experience of being i know everybody wants to go out and just kind of get away from it all being on the boat okay understand that totally got it if anything goes wrong i'm sure that that aspect of what you're doing will probably fade from importance so it's good to have these things ready to go um, it can also, as I said before, increase the confidence that other people have in you going to see. And you can, these things, they used to be like a thousand bucks to buy the actual unit. Um, they're going down rapidly. I've seen them for like 600 bucks now, and you can get them secondhand for under 500 bucks. Um, the external antenna is a, uh, very, very beneficial, but it's not absolutely essential, but you get very good at uh, trusting the fact that you can, its battery will last like four or five hours and you put it out on deck. It's totally waterproof. You just tether it so it can't go anywhere and it'll pick up a signal nicely with the inbuilt satellite communication. And it has on the side of it an SOS button. It has a, a button that you can press that its own internal system will then send to a um, Iridium based um, uh, emergency coordinator and based on where you are, um, they will then send the appropriate kind of help because that could also be used, you know, as a cabin in the woods or what have you. So if you're using it at sea, they're going to send some kind of uh, maritime rescue service. So an Iridium Go and a satellite foam, we've already got strong combos here. I would add to that one of these other units. Um, in the book here, they mentioned Spot and InReach. Either of those two, they're all kind of getting close to each other now. And I guess Yellow Brick would be the other one like that. They allow messaging. They allow you to see text-based weather reports um, and those things for very, very little per month. You'll be able to see the weather report at sea, um, being able to see a map of where you are, some waypoints. It'll show you your speed over the ground and your compass direction. So it's a backup for basic nav. Um, and you can, you can text through it. You can text through the actual unit or again, connected Bluetooth to your phone. You can use the app and then you see quite detailed charts and uh, uh, quite detailed uh, forecasts and you can um, you can text back and forth to people just like it's a normal text conversation. Alongside the inReach one, which I like, which has now been bought by Garmin, um, it's also coordinated with uh, Predict Wind. And so it will, uh, in, in the app, you can select Predict Wind and then you can put in your details and you can find out uh, what the weather is coming from in a very uh, full-on way, a full grib, uh, a 500 millibar chart, anything you want, uh, um, currents, uh, tidal streams, you name it, oceanic data, surface temperature data, you can get it all on your phone from pretty much anywhere in the world, certainly within that area A3, which is 70 degrees north, 70 degrees south. So um, having a sat phone, an Iridium go, and your phone, now your phone, you should have all the appropriate apps on. You should have the apps that connect you to the units on board the boat, whether it's BNG or Garmin or Furuno or Raymarine. 
all of those things allowing the phone to become a more potent part of the uh, the situation here. It's a cell phone. It's now corrected to, connected to the Iridium Go, so it's a satellite phone. It's connected to the tracker, so it's getting marine ports separate to the Iridium Go. It's also getting the weather data downloaded. And then if you've got something like Navionics on there, then you've also got Admiralty level charts of the area that you're in. Um, this is an extremely powerful equipment uh, set of equipment that you've got there. And what's even more amazing is if you put one of those storage batteries in there and a little um, solar folding up solar cell for, and a 1300cc Peli case, you can have a set of gear which will tell you where you are on the planet down to a couple of feet. It can uh, connect with the uh, GMDSS uh, system around the world. You can get weather data down, you can connect with friends, you can share your experiences with friends, and all of these items packaged together in one small waterproof box on the boat. Like, we live in a, an age of miracles, and uh, you know, you might want to go out and be on the water and, and kind of get away from it all, but um, it, yeah, if push comes to shove, I'm sure you <laughs> want to reconnect pretty quickly. Now, just finishing up what it says in the, in the book here, it says... Um, uh, these uh, sets, uh, this is talking about the, um, the the yellow brick, the spot, the inReach, these little tracker things. Sets also include a de dedicated distress button that sends an automated distress message to the IERCC, the International Emergency Response Coordination Center near to Houston in Texas, uh, who will track your device and notify the appropriate Marine Rescue Coordination Center to facilitate rescue services. However, these are not part of the GMDSS system, or well, stand by for my comment on that, and should only be used as a backup to the 406 megahertz EPUB or PLB. Yeah, they don't connect directly with it, but they definitely connect indirectly with it. And that's kind of the argument for the uh, mobile phone as well. It would be very silly not to think that they are part of your strategy when things go wrong. In, you know, immediately alert the people around you with AIS, then alert the rescue services that you're uh, registered with via your 406 um, uh, uh, megahertz EPUB, and then get on the emergency dress distress thing on your inReach, and then get on the one on the Iridium. It doesn't matter that you use all of these different things. As you said, it's like it's like trying to it's like being 17 and coming home late and you've forgotten your key and you've got to wake your parents up. Right? You don't you can't knock on the door quietly. It's not going to be any less bad if you wake them up quietly like you're gonna have to wake them up so just go loud so if you've got all these separate buttons on all these separate devices press all the buttons the international emergency response center will work out it's all the same thing that's not going to be a problem no one's going to be like <laughs> they come and visit you in hospital i would like to speak to you about how many buttons you pressed it's just not going to happen uh, coverage varies depending on the satellite system used, but sets using the Iridium service are able to uh, provide a worldwide service. Brilliant. Okay, so we get to the end of the electronic uh, section. It has got a wonderful uh, sort of table here, which shows you all the different distances from the coast and all the different equipment that you should have um, for, for craft sailing outside of uh, area A1, which is right up against the, the coast. You basically want everything, which means you should have a mobile phone, a marine radio, uh, an EPUB, uh, an AIS unit, um, which, you know, remember the AIS unit that goes in life jacket can also be just deployed on board the boat and then it can be used as a, a beacon for other people. If you think you're about to get run down by a ship in the fog, set off all of the, uh, the, the uh, AIS units which are in your life jackets and I assure you it will swerve away because you'll look like a, a fleet of fishing boats. 
Um, it says it goes on to then say that you need to have your um, parachute flares and your red handheld flares and your smoke signals. That's all part of the uh, onboard safety gear for communicating with the vessels that are immediately around you and not using electromagnetic radiation of some sort or another. So we'll go on to that in uh, in the next podcast. This is quite a beefy section uh, here in the RWA Sea Survival Handbook. Um, I hope that from this you've got the fact that it's, there's not too much to be afraid of apart from the acronyms. Um, the, the Global Maritime Distress and Safety System, as I've said before here, it's built on the shoulders and dreams and aspirations and hopes and prayers of all the sailors that have gone before. If you know how to access it, if you know how the equipment works on the boat, if you've got it all working as it should do, it creates this incredible opportunity to just disconnect from the normal sequence of um, of consequences uh, that would normally happen on a vessel at sea. If you listen to the books that we've listened to over on the Mariner's Library, uh, there's so many situations those people get themselves into in those boats back in the 1920s, the kind of era of books I'm reading from, um, which would have been solved with a, a mobile phone or sold with a VHF or solved with a, an EPUB in a, in a heartbeat. And yet it's a, a major emergency high stress situation which no doubt leaves them with PTSD for many years afterwards and could have been solved these days with pressing and holding a button for five seconds wait and then press and hold a button for five seconds again you know it's uh if you've got it use it that's my advice and make sure that all the admin behind the scenes is is done so I hope there's uh, feedback from you on this subject matter some people are very fearful of the electronic gear on the boat they know they've got to have it but they're not exactly how sure I would say jump in. As Eddie Izzard, the comedian, says, you either have like technophobia, in which case you're like, oh, I really don't want to try it, or you have like techno joy and you jump in without the instruction manual. Try it. There's very few ways that you completely mess it, miss this stuff up and you only learn from trying out uh, a number of different things with the systems, with uh, your chart plotter, with your VHF, with your SSB. Just press button, see what happens. There's very few ways you can foul it up and lots of ways to learn more about it and become slicker and more efficient in its operation should you ever be pushed to it. And consider having a little pack of stuff based around your mobile phone. Um, If you've got a device on board which can potentially act as a GPS unit, a charting unit, a messaging unit, All of these things that a mobile phone can do once it's got access to a satellite, once it's got access to um, something like an Iridium Go, uh, focus on that. You can get an old cell phone which is no longer you know connecting to the normal network what do you do with that build a system around it which you can just carry onto a boat and it provides you with all the things you need i have seen some very cool microsystems with small ipads in the center an ipad that has to have an sd card slot otherwise it doesn't have a gps a key thing to know about ipads if it doesn't have the sd card slot to connect to the cell phone network it doesn't have internal gps it's only working out where it is based on the information given to it by surrounding Wi-Fi systems. But if you have a small one with an SD card, you can put that inside your Peli case, put in the phone beneath it all of the various parts that you need, your tracker, your messaging unit, your satellite phone, um, and then uh, the ability to uh, open up that box and uh, have a a, a solar charger in there as well. That is a very potent set of uh, equipment to take to sea with you and uh, can be a real go-to in the event of an emergency that's going to keep you connected in an unparalleled way. So... Not to be written off, definitely to be uh, to be uh, uh, learnt uh, as much as you can about, um, and then you are not the bottleneck in the event of an emergency because you don't know don't know what you're doing. But um, that's all from me this week. Um, please send any of your questions, any of your uh, shared 
bits of knowledge uh, we learn from each other and make each other safer by exchanging not only the the honors but uh, also the mistakes uh, so much to be learned from mistakes um, send your emails to csmthemariner at gmail.com and I'll include them either in uh, one of the podcasts or in the question and tangents uh, podcast which covers all your questions if you are enjoying this content as I say always please consider going to uh, patreon.com forward slash the mariner and supporting the podcast for a donation of five dollars a month and the YouTube channel is uh, underway now we're getting a lot more subscribers which is cool um, we've got uh, you know 50,000 uh, views a month now it's on its way up it's still a small channel three and a half three three point six thousand uh, uh, subscribers but it's growing and as uh, I was given some fantastic advice recently like just record everything you do uh, upload regularly and it'll grow like a weed so that's a, a big hope for 2023 um, with the community of people that are listening to this podcast it's about a thousand people a week uh, picking up these episodes uh, so we're definitely on for uh, for growth in 2023 and um, anyway I can serve you guys and share information with you I'm, I'm happy to take your suggestions so um With that in mind, I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you are safe and sound, enjoying your sailing, and I'll speak to you in the next one. Cheers.